Hello, this is Neil from Grassroots Security, and thanks for listening. Before you start, I would like to say that the weather is foggy right now. Did you think I would be talking about the weather again? Were you not going to talk about the weather? I was, but you bet me to it. You are getting predictable. Do you know why people talk about the weather? No, why? It is because as social beings, we would like to find some common ground with people, especially if it is at the beginning of an interaction. So people try to find something that the other person can respond to. And one of those is the weather. There are, of course, other topics like politics, but they are more polarizing. I learned something new today. I thought you knew everything. I was just testing you. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. Last week, the podcast hosting company I was using suffered a denial of service. Was that why you were late uploading last week's episode? Yes, it was. And besides, I was able to finally upload it in the evening. Are you sure? Are you doubting me? Because I detect you are fibbing. Ha! I did not realize you're a light detector now. I am a being of many talents. An annoying one, it seems. I first talked about denial of service back in Season 1, Episode 13. At that time, the New Zealand Stock Exchange was experiencing a distributed denial of service. The whole idea of denial of service stems from the supply and demand perspective. If there are more demands for a resource than the resource can supply, then there are delays fulfilling those demands. Oftentimes, if a resource is susceptible to a denial of service attack, then we deem that it has a vulnerability or what we call specifically as a denial of service vulnerability. An application is a resource and is designed to provide a service. So if an attacker exploits a denial of service vulnerability, that application is unable to provide a service. For example, in the case of the podcast hosting company, listeners were not able to access the podcasts, and podcasters were not able to upload or edit episodes. That's right. Security professionals often distinguish between persistent and non-persistent denial-of-service vulnerabilities. As the name implies, a persistent vulnerability means that it is permanent until actively corrected. This means that someone needs to do something to fix the issue. This is because exploiting the vulnerability may move the application to a state that is something unstable. For example, if an application crashes due to a successful exploitation of a vulnerability and then when it tries to restore itself, it could not because the information it uses to restore itself got corrupted in the process. So unless the developer or administrator fixes the issue, it will continue to crash, which is why we call it persistent. On the other hand, A non-persistent vulnerability just means that it only lasts as long as the attacker is sending information that is causing the denial-of-service condition. This typically happens if, let's say, the attacker is using a zombie network to send a lot of requests to the web application, thereby consuming the available resources, thus affecting supply, that it's not able to handle the requests anymore. This effectively prevents legitimate users, like me and my listeners, from accessing the service. And that is bad because? For me, it may be a good thing. Because I don't have to power you on anymore. Moving on. Are there different types of denial of service? There are different types of denial of services, depending on the resource being limited. 
A memory vulnerability means that the attack is either causing the application to crash due to a memory corruption or that the attack is consuming all the available memory in the system. A memory corruption is normally a bug or a fault in the software code wherein it is not able to handle the corruption in a controlled way. This is why software code tends to have exception handling written to be able to handle unknown states. If it is a commercial software, you would raise an issue with a vendor and hopefully they will provide you with software patch to fix the vulnerability. Though not an exact analogy, let us say you went to your grocery checkout and the checkout clerk tries to scan your product. But the product is not scanning properly, so it is not able to determine what the product is and its price, even though you know what the product is. So what happens is that the clerk would either get up and go to the shelf that has the product and get the price label or ask someone to check it for him or her. In either case, there is a delay that occurs until the issue is fixed because you are currently the one being serviced at the checkout. The barcode may not have been entered in the system or that the barcode on the product was damaged. But until that is fixed, the queue at the checkout counter will just increase. So other people will just have to wait, go to another checkout counter, or give up and not buy. In either cases, it causes service issues. On the other hand, a memory availability is normally when the requests are consuming all available memory in the system. Each request made to an application consumes memory. As the request gets fulfilled, the application then releases that memory so that it is able to handle other requests. But memory is finite, so it can only handle a certain number of requests. For example, if a typical request for your application consumes 10 megabytes of memory and your system only has 100 megabytes of memory, then in best case scenario, it is able to handle 10 requests simultaneously. In the event it gets the 11th request, it will wait until one of the current requests is fulfilled before it can handle the 11th request. Using our grocery store analogy, you may only have two checkout counters open. So in the event that there are more than two customers at the checkout, the third person will have to wait. It's not an issue if you only have to wait for a short period of time. But let's say 10 people arrive at the checkout counter at the same time, and it takes around 10 minutes to complete the checkout. So for the last person to queue, he or she would have to wait 90 minutes before they get served. If I had feet, I would be stomping my foot and shouting what the delay is all about. God help us the day that happens. We will have Karimagadon. What are the other types of denial of service? Other types of denial of service includes storage denial of service, when you run out of storage to service the request, network denial of service, when you run out of network bandwidth to service the request, and processor denial of service, when you run out of CPU to service the request. There may be others, but you get what I mean. The type denial of service is dependent on the type of resource being threatened. Exactly. So how do you address denial of service attacks? There are several ways to address denial of service attacks, some more straightforward than others. If a denial of service is persistent due to a software code issue, then it is a matter of applying a software patch or fixing the configuration of the application or software. This is probably the more straightforward way, assuming you know what to fix. Sometimes, 
people think that they are having a denial of service and attributing it to a network attack, which is typically a non-persistent vulnerability as it exists only during an active attack. But in fact, it was a software code issue. And one of the ways to check this is to either review logs, review crash dumps if they exist, or ensure that the software goes through code testing. Now that I think of it, it's probably not straightforward. But what I'm saying here is that persistent vulnerabilities are typically due to code issues, so you can fix it. If it is a non-persistent denial of service vulnerability, there are two approaches to this. One, scale your resources to handle requests. This approach is valid if you believe the requests are legitimate. This is why moving to the cloud is seen by a number of people as the path forward. You can configure your application to use resources in the cloud as demand requires it. The issue here is that scaling costs money. So if you're paying for the scaling yet the requests are not valid, then you're just wasting money. Number two, limit access to the application to only legitimate requests. This means using another service that becomes your guard or gateway before it reaches your application. The guard will check information about the requester if they are legitimate. For example, it may use a database of malicious internet protocol or IP addresses, and if the requester has that IP address, they will be blocked. However, the best approach is to combine both approaches, but do so in a cost-effective manner. One of these combined approaches is through a content delivery network or CDN. What happens is that static resources from your web application like images and text are persistently stored in the CDN systems. Because they are stored or cached in those systems, requests for the static resources do not even reach your web application anymore. Using a protocol called Anycast, it goes to the nearest CDN system location to service the request. However, dynamic requests may still go through the web application. This can include changing episode details of my podcast as an example. In this case, there are two things that can get implemented. One, the web application should still scale based on the demand. This is to cover legitimate dynamic requests. And two, as you are using the CDN service, you will probably try to limit traffic to only coming from the CDN IP addresses. In technical terms, you are using the CDN service as a reverse proxy and filtering traffic. Because of this, you do not want attackers to directly access your source system, also known as the origin system, so you block off all other access from other IP addresses. Be careful on this one, since some web application programmers may hard code the IP address of your system instead of using web application names. If this occurs, legitimate requests may go directly to the source system using the IP address and will be blocked off if you implement the filtering. The CDN also does additional checks before they even serve the request. As mentioned earlier, they may check if the IP address of the requester is not in the blacklist. Typically, CDN companies have a live database of malicious IP addresses that they get from multiple sources. This can also be called threat intelligence, though it is only one aspect of it. Another way the CDN protects you is based on the requests made. If the request looks like an exploit, like a cross-site scripting, SQL injection, or other code-related attacks, it will block off those requests.
so you're basically tackling the issue even before it reaches your web application. Using the analogy of the grocery store, scaling based on demand may mean opening up more checkout counters during high demand. And then to tackle shoppers before they get to your checkout counter, you may implement a number of things, like limit the number of car park spaces, only limit the number of people that can enter the grocery store, entice shoppers to slow down, and potentially buy more things, like doing demos or food tasting counters. Implement a membership program so shoppers will need to validate that they are members before they can enter, and so on. It is also important to note that the denial of service may be used by attackers as a distraction to provide cover on the real attack they are doing. This is because the security incident handlers are busy taking care of the denial of service that they may not notice the more subterfuge type of attack to access sensitive information from your environment. So going back to the podcast hosting company, what they did was get a CDN to protect against the denial of service attack. Exactly. Hopefully they don't increase the price of the hosting. I hope not either, as it's not cheap. And at least as of this episode, I'm not sponsored. So this is all out of my pocket. Incidentally, I'm still waiting for feedback on my Harry Potter does home renovations idea. You still have not dropped that bad idea? Nope. I'm still wishfully waiting. And that's it. I hope this has been useful. Till then, slán Bye-bye. Take care and keep safe.